Hello, and welcome back to the Backpack Podcast brought to you by the Center for Talent Development at Northwestern University. My name is Danielle, and I'll be your host. Let's get started. Today's special guest is a chemist by trade, but is also known for his civic engagement work in the local Evanston community. He is the former managing director and co-founder of the Solar Fuels Institute, as well as the former director of operations and outreach at the Northwestern Solar Energy Research Center. He was the faculty director for the award-winning House by Northwestern Student Initiative and co-founded PC Technologies, which provides affordable DIY solar kits for families. He is also the co-founder and current president of the Evanston Development Cooperative. And as if that weren't enough, with all that spare time on his hands, our guest also serves as a chemistry professor at Northwestern University. Please welcome Dr. Ditko, everyone. Dick, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you. So before we get to the hard-hitting questions, can you tell us a little bit about your personal pathway, just in terms of what led you to Northwestern and also what led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, so let's start from the very, very beginning. I was born in Boston, but at age six, my parents decided to move to Taiwan. So I spent 12 years in Taiwan in Asia, graduated from high school there, and then came to the U.S., went to college at UC Berkeley, knowing that I wanted to be a chemist. My father was a chemist. My uncle was a chemist. I just loved playing with reactions and putting aftershave on soap bubbles, making it pop when I was young. And Berkeley had the College of Chemistry that attracted me there. And after that, I went to Harvard to study um, chemical physics at, uh, and got my PhD there. came to Northwestern exactly 10 years ago um, in 2018, where I wanted to learn more about solar energy. I was a climate scientist before coming here and wanted to know how can we address the climate challenge and very quickly also understanding what the energy challenge was. So in graduate school, I was in the group that really in the 80s led to the Montreal Protocol that banned CFCs because of ozone depletion. And I studied how you know, humankind was affecting the climate. And that really came from our burning of fossil fuels and I decided that I wanted to really understand how can we produce more renewable energy so that we can have a clean, carbon-neutral energy source. And that led me to a path to convert using sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide from the air to convert that into gasoline, literally turning gasoline out of thin air. And that's kind of how I got excited about solar is how do we mitigate climate change and to derive a cleaner energy source. And one of my favorite quotes is that, you know, humankind didn't leave the Stone Age because we ran out of stones. We came up with a better technology. And it's my belief that we'll do the same with energy. We'll come up with better solutions that will be cleaner, cheaper, and healthier for, for the planet and for the people. Was there a point early in your life that you just knew this was your passion and this was what you were pursuing? Or were you continuing to explore until around college and finding different pathways that sparked your interest? Uh, and was there a moment or did it all just kind of come together for you? Yeah, no, it didn't. It definitely evolved over time. It didn't. This was not exactly the plan I drew up when I was 18, leaving home. But I think along the way, I realized, especially starting college, I really felt like I had a just a blank canvas. I could be anyone I wanted to be. It wasn't my buddies for 12 years through school, and they saw me as captain of the varsity basketball team or this or that. You know, I, it could be, hey, no one knew me. I could be as good as anyone. And from there, it started with chemistry, of course. And over throughout my time at, at you know, in college at Berkeley, 
you know, I took some classes, and the one that really affected me the most was an ethnic studies class. I was at Berkeley, and I wanted to learn more about the protest movements of the 60s, to learn about the free speech movement, to learn what it meant to be a person in the United States during that time and, of course, today as well. So I think that really got me thinking about, well, it's really the people, you know, the chemistry, the physics, the, you know, the engineering, the math, those are all exciting. But in the end, it's how we build our society, how we interact with each other. And then in graduate school, you know, I was in, a, in the chemistry department, but I started, I just volunteered to work at the Kennedy School of Government, working on nuclear non-proliferation issues and to understand policy. And, and all along, was just really about staying the course, which is chemistry and physics, but starting to branch out and learn from others. That's awesome. It seems like you've always married the civics aspects with some of the science and technology that you're working on. So I'm curious, where did you get inspired to be civically engaged, and do you find this important to continue to promote to students today? Yes. Great. Great question. I I think early on I was inspired by Linus Pauling whom, and Benjamin Franklin, who people have called them civilian scientists, or scientists who were good in their trades, but also had that connection to the people, um, whether it's in government, whether it's in your local community, your city government, your PTA. I think that's all important because in the end, in my mind, chemistry, science is not just the pursuit of knowledge and we produce papers that a handful of people would read. I think when we think of modern medicine, when we think of the internet, when we think of transportation, and all that came from science that never just stayed in the labs. It came out, it, people turned it into companies, ideas, and so that part's important. And also, back to the ethnic studies class I took in college, it really inspired me to realize there are many things in society, even today in 2019, can be better. And how do we make it more equitable for all people of our city and our nation and our world? And when I studied what it meant to be an African-American, to be a Mexican-American, to be a Latino in the U.S., or to be an Asian-American in the U.S. in the 60s, 70s, and today, realizing we have to marry technology, science, with good policy, and by and large, the goodwill of the people. I think people really want to do the right thing, and science and technology oftentimes are the enablers that allow us to do it more cost-effectively or faster. One of the projects I think really sparked my interest is the house project you worked on, and it seems to have some of that perfect marrying that we've been talking about. So would you mind explaining that project a little bit and what it entailed? Yeah, so in 2015, I got so interested in what we call the built environment, buildings, homes, commercial buildings, schools, offices, where we work, live, and go to school, and I realized that all half the electricity in the U.S. goes to operating, heating, and cooling our buildings. So all along, we said we need more renewables. But when you look at where it goes, it all goes to our buildings. And well, how can I learn more about how a building, let's say a, a single-family house, is constructed, designed? Why is it not more efficient today when you take the average new construction home? So in 2015, I said, well, why don't I gather a group of Northwestern students, college students, and a few graduate students to say, well, let's design and build an actual house. And at the time, the U.S. Department of Energy ran this um, competition called the Solar Decathlon that happens every other year where collegiate teams design, build, and operate full-size 
solar powered houses. So I put in a proposal to the Department of Energy. We were selected as a finalist, and that was Northwestern's first uh, entry into the solar decathlon. And that started a two and a half, three year project where our students, 19, 20 year olds who obviously don't have an architecture degree, designed and built a full sized um, solar power house. And you can learn more about it at northwestern.house. Um, you'll see just how beautiful it was. And all along, we wanted to test the idea that, uh, that sustainability can be delivered without compromise. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you all placed really well in that? Yeah, in the competition, the Solar Decathlon has 10 contests, hence the name Decathlon, and we won first place in two of them, in market potential and communications, and we won third place in engineering. And some of the jurors said our team simply did it all. And another juror said once they saw the house, they just wanted to move in. And people are currently living there, right? Yes. So we partnered with Habitat for Humanity. They are reassembling our house in Colorado for affordable housing, which is also a very important issue. And that's what I'm talking about, where it seems like a beautiful marriage of not only being thoughtful about the technology and renewable energy and design of something, but also the civically engagement aspect of creating something that's going towards a good use. I also thought something interesting about the project was that it seemed to bring in students across disciplines. Can you tell me about how that worked throughout the project, and do you think that parents and teachers can continue to try and find activities and engagements that allow students to cross disciplines? Yes. Yeah, when I started the House by Northwestern project, we deliberately planned to bring in students of all backgrounds and different majors. We had civil engineers, industrial engineers, we had journalism majors, we had MBA students from our business school, we had just across the board psychology majors, and and of course everyone thought differently. And that was the fun part, but I'll be honest, that was also the hard part. And we see this in our own social circles, in our own neighborhoods. It is much easier to develop trust with people that have similar backgrounds like you, who look like you, who think like you. But you, once you work that through, and then when you have a diverse group, it's always harder to know why they're coming at a sa- the same problem differently. Why do they recommend different solutions? And once we start realizing that we are sticking with this, there's no way. I don't want to work with a marketing student now, let's just put all the engineers in a room and we'll design this house and people will love it. Well, it doesn't work that well if you go down that path. It's really about when you put diversity and trust, they often together, they often go in opposite directions and it takes extra work to make a diverse team come together and trust each other and to know we do have the same goals. And it's really that diversity that made us stronger. And really our commitment to what we call a human-centered design approach. And really at the core of it, even though it was a solar house, it was sustainable, it wasn't just a spreadsheet of numbers. And we said, this is the best way to build a house, the most energy efficient. But really working with what we call our clients, we did user research, we were in the community talking to baby boomers. We designed the house for older adults to age in place. and, And we stuck with it. At times it was hard because we got one, you know, we have one question and 12 answers and we're like, which one is right? And they're all right. So then it's like, well, how do I find a solution? And it took longer, but I think the product was better. The team was stronger. And we oftentimes forget that there are so many ways to get to a solution, even the same solution. And 
So that's, I think, one of the best parts, not only with the students, you know, part of the Pass by Northwestern project brought together industry leaders from shipping companies to roofing materials companies to solar companies and all across and also within Northwestern working with different offices. And as the faculty director, I'm most proud of is that the house turned out beautifully, but it was not what I imagined. I really wanted the team to start off with concepts and let it evolve. And as the director and my co-partner at the time, we just said, this is your project. We're here to guide you, but run with it and solve problems. And I'll bring resources and people to help you solve problems. And I think the students really stepped up. And you can see that they not only got rated so high in engineering, but they're also ready for market. Yes. And I encourage everyone to, if you Googled Elon Musk master plan, I think in 2000, early 2000s, he wrote this essay about really his master plan. Why is he making race cars? How can building race cars, the roads to change the world and save the world? And I think he had a good thesis there where if you build something desirable that people want, and you understand that where the underlying technologies can lead to improvement in environmental protection and human health, that is a very viable and attractive course. And you know, as an environmentalist, climate scientist, I've seen many pioneers say, do the right thing, turn down your thermostat, save the planet. But the reality is people weren't doing it because it's very uncomfortable to have your house at cold temperatures, especially like a day on a day like today. And so then you use technology to allow them to live comfortably, but use less energy. In Elon Musk's case, it's really that got to the lithium ion battery, the gigafactory that they're doing today and solar all came from that race car. And he planned it all out. And so those are the things that I think marketability, desirability is not just, oh, that's just for the marketing people. I think as a scientist, and now I would call myself a parallel entrepreneur, are things I think about all the time. Can we talk about the parallel entrepreneur thing? Yes. I wonder, does the house project inspire any aspect of what you're currently doing with that? Yeah, so the, the House by Northwestern project inspired me in so many different ways. And the most direct effect on me was building science is actually a very mature field. I came in it from a chemistry perspective, and realizing we know how to build energy-efficient, beautiful, comfortable, healthy homes, but why weren't we doing it? And I can do another prototype house at Northwestern. I can get students and industry partners excited again and the university excited again, but we didn't need another prototype. We needed actual products in our community, in our cities, in our state, in our country, and that wasn't just another white paper. It wasn't just another workshop or symposium, but really, how do we build a movement? And how do we just help homeowners and cities to address sustainability challenges? And um, I'm proud that Evanston was the first or is the first Illinois city to declare that it will be 100% on renewable energy by 2030. And we have to have more efficient buildings. And we need homeowners to keep more of their utility bills in their pockets, right? Save every hundred dollars, hundred of dollars you saved is a hundred dollars that you can spend on food, on education, on travel, on anything you want. So 
those are the things that I think, so, well, let's just do this outside the university. And coming back to the parallel entrepreneurship part, we typically hear the phrase serial entrepreneur. You build a company, you're successful, you sell it, you exit, and you go on to the next thing. And I wanted to try an idea, well, what if I started a few things? And of course, I can't do it alone. So the key secret sauce here, which is not so secret because I'm sharing it with all of you, is empower everyone around you. Be realistic about how much you want and want to own, how much you can put in, in terms of time, effort. And if we take a realistic view of that, you can say, well, I can do three or four things if I have three or four, six partners who are all incentivized, who all see the same goals. Um, so right now, I co-founded the Evanston Development Cooperative, where we are based right here in Evanston, where we are employee-owned, where we have construction workers and investors building more energy-efficient homes. Small homes that are inherently more energy-efficient produces less carbon over its, over its lifetime and inherently more affordable. So that's one of the you know, three or four other things I'm doing, but I think I'm just, I've been very blessed with just talented, kind people. And my philosophy is find good and kind people and give them the better, the, you know, the better end of the deal. And you do that many times over and you'll see that it, it really is really fulfilling. And before we wrap things up, I wanted to briefly talk about one of the other companies that you co-founded, which is PC Technologies. Can you talk a little bit about that company and what its mission is? Yeah, so part of my work um, at Northwestern when I was the director of operations for the Argonne Northwestern Solar Energy Research Center was working with third generation solar cells. So these are solar cells that you don't see on your rooftops yet, but they can be cheaply fabricated. They are they can be bendable. They can you know, absorb diffuse light better. So we were doing that research, and over time we realized it's actually a lot more fun and a lot more effective if we can get that out of the labs and even out of the classrooms and into the hands of our eighth graders and high school students. And so we started working with teachers. We you know, participated in teachers' workshops. Over the years, we've trained you know, hundreds of teachers and probably thousands of students. And how do you make your own solar cell? using blackberry juice, using mulberry juice, using, and for the parents, you can use red wine to stain these solar cells. And the color absorbs the sunlight and converts that sunlight into electricity. And it was so inspiring for our teachers and ourselves. I said, well, again, we don't need another workshop. We got to get this into the hands of our students to see and understand firsthand just really how magical it is to see sunlight turn into electricity to light an LED bulb. And so we said, well, we worked with you know, Chicagoland teachers and we said, well, we actually know and we've perfected the recipe, the know-how now. Now we said, well, why don't we just let every single teacher in America and the world know? And we've held workshops in Saudi Arabia and India and really all over the world. And so PC Technologies was formed as a company out of Northwestern, P and C really are the initials of um, the two co-founders, myself, Co, C, and uh, Samir Pawarhan, P. Um, and we just wanted to produce educational kits that, was, that were easy for teachers to purchase. They were all self-contained. It wasn't, and we were sharing everything with teachers, and it became very hard for the teachers to source all the materials, to 
pay, you know, to find all the upfront costs. But if it were packaged in a one-time use, they can have all the solar cell materials they need for their classrooms. Their students can do that. And we're developing our second and third products. You can take any piece of food, potato, a grape, you know, grapes, and turn that into a battery and light an LED bulb for, for days. And this is part of what you'll be doing in the class, correct? Yes. I'm absolutely excited to lead um, the uh, workshop in, you know, in a few weeks where yeah, our students will get to make their own solar cells, test out different types of foods and see which ones and which colors produce the most electricity. They'll test out which types of foods produce the most, the brightest bulb and using a battery. Um, so it's really about how, how do we take what many of our students and parents have heard about, solar energy, energy storage, and the Tesla Powerwall, and, and really put it into very practical terms to understand the electrochemistry, to understand the physics and the engineering that go into these technologies. Great. And just so our listeners know, we'll be sharing more info about both PC Technologies and the Evanston Development Cooperative on our website. We'll also be sharing more about Dick's upcoming class. And last but not least, Dick, we just want to thank you so much for coming in today and being our special guest. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I can't wait to meet the students. Well, folks, if you like what you heard in today's podcast and are interested in learning more about Dr. Dick Coe and his work, you're in luck. We're excited to announce that Dr. Ko will be teaching an accelerated weekend experience course this upcoming June titled Renewable Energy, Designing Tomorrow's Batteries and Solar Cells. This will be for grades 5 through 6 and will be held in Evanston, Illinois on June 8th through 9th. Registration is currently open and you can find the registration link below in this podcast description or on the Explore Courses section on the Center for Talent Development's website. Dr. Ko will also be presenting at two sessions, the first being Renewable Energy at Your Fingertips for grades 9 through 12, and the second being Making a Functional Solar Cell from Scratch for grades 7 through 8 at CTD's upcoming Opportunities for the Future conference. The Opportunities for the Future conference will be held on Saturday, June 29th from 1 to 5 p.m. More details on this conference can be found on our events website, which is also linked in the description below. And that's all we have for this episode of the Backpack Podcast. Thank you listeners for tuning in, and once again we want to give a big thank you to Dick Coe for joining us today, and to the Center for Talent Development for sponsoring the show. Bye now!